0: This is the Gas Giants and I am, as usual, Tom. The time is part two in the Chinwag with Paul Tiaggi founding member of Delamitri and the band's drummer from 1981 to 89. Before we resume the blather, I'm going to play another short excerpt from a 1981 demo tape to remind us of the band's aesthetic before their long and seemingly painful transition to being a jangle pop group. In part one, Paul told us about the band's formation, early development, Peel Session, record contract with Chrysalis, the commercial flop of their first album in
1: 1985, and... So there we were, stuck in 1986. And what are we going to do now? And go to America, is um, what you did. That's what we did, yeah. yeah. Our, our manager was actually American um, from uh. LA, and... She she was a absolutely amazing person. Uh, when your manager, to, sorry,
0: how did you establish this relationship with the manager? Uh,
1: when we when we um, when the John Peel session was broadcast, um, the day after, all kinds of people came out of the woodwork. Record companies, mm-hmm. people yeah. people that wanted to know us. Um, uh, and included in that group was uh, our manager, um, who was London based um, and had been managing another Glasgow band called Strawberry Switchblade. Ah, we were talking about them the other day, or just yesterday, yeah. Gavin. Yes, 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 we were. We were indeed. Absolutely, yep. Um, but they had just fired her, um, <laughs> and she, she didn't have a gig. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, they were quite difficult to work. With. Really nice band. Really nice band. Incredible, but they were quite difficult. So. Um, she was looking for a band to manage, and she wasn't really a professional manager. She just wanted to sort of get into yeah. the music business and was very enthusiastic about it and had a lot of interesting ideas. So um, we got a barrage of letters from her. Um, I was like, "Who's this woman? Lives in London? <laughs> Who is she?" So she she actually came up to Glasgow and committed and spent uh, spent about a week there hanging about with us. And so we thought, right? Okay, well, if you're quite impressive, if you want to manage her, as nobody else does, you can. And mm-hmm. and and um, she turned out to be very, very good at it in a very unusual way. Um, and one of the things she did was set up this American tour that we did in mm-hmm. 1986. And i you...
0: <laughs> uh, Sorry, we should get her on the show, and I can ask her this question. Had
2: you set up a oh, tour like that before? No, <laughs> she's she's disappeared. Uh, yeah, yeah no. she
1: she's she's not. Uh, um, I don't know if she's even with us anymore. But um, she was quite older. Um, we we were in our um, early twenties and late teens, and she she was in her mid thirties by this point. But it's, I, it's I,
0: one of those it's one of those things. Like, yeah. if somebody manages to set up a tour like that, but the way you had described it. Has this
2: person set up a tour before? Does they do they know how to book venues? Well, and I, I you needed to know she was this sort of very powerful woman, quite uh, you know, with this this absolutely American can do attitude to everything, mm. and a small bottle of Southern Comfort in her purse at all times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great stuff. So that uh, it matches up with the Holston uh, cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's, there's almost alcohol somewhere,
0: yeah.
1: um, enigmatic alcohol. Well, so we, Barbara, I do my um, bit what too. Bar- what Barbara did was, and she wrote back to all the fans um, that we had in American cities, and basically said, "The band will come over um, if you organize a gig for them." Fantastic you, idea! I love that. Yeah, it was fantastic. You organize the gig, yeah. and you figure out how you're going to make money from this gig. And then once we've done the gig, you put us up and give us some money so that we can pay for gasoline to get to the next yeah. town. Yeah. Really? Um, and and that way we got over round the entirety of the US.
0: So how long did um, you spend on that tour?
1: I think we were we were we were driving around the US for about three three, three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Three weeks, I would say. Yeah. And it it was incredibly grueling. Yes, of uh, course. And we, we were penniless. Yep. And mm. we, would, we would turn up, for instance, say, a place like Athens, Georgia. Yep. And, and you know, end up at some frat house um, and get put up by all these drunk students. And we'd, we'd play in the back garden. Yep. And we'd all chip in money. And yep. then we'd have two dollars $300. Uh, we'd fill up the the va- rented van with gas. And then head down to, to you know Orlando, Florida, Florida, where right. another fan um, fan's parents put us up in their house. Um, we, we we played a, an incredible gig in Los Angeles, um, hosted by a chap called David Hollander, who was a child actor. Uh, he 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 was in the movie um, Airplane. It was a yes. comedy movie in the early eighties. I remember it. <laughs> This was yeah. a real cliche, this gig, because... Um, Don't call me Susan. It was, yeah. a, it was a house in the valley, classic um, single-story house with a swimming pool around the back. Uh, oh,
2: wow! So, it's, classic, it's not such
0: so, a big deal in America. And, it really isn't.
1: Um,
2: no, but it's, it, it starts sounding like BoJack Horseman's place. No, it's not like <laughs> that, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> we turn up after driving, you know, two nights and days, uh, we turn up at this this guy's house, and he. It, it turns out that he he's 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 about thirteen years old, and and <laughs> and thirteen years old. Complete motor mouth. He said, "Come into the house." We walk into the house. He was at home alone. And it turns out his parents had gone off to the, Europe for the summer, and left a <laughs> <laughs> brother Rick, who 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 had absconded somewhere. So he was. This kid was home alone, thirteen years old. He'd organised this whole party with bands around the pool. Security guards, armed security guards. Yeah. And we stayed in the house. We did this gig out, out at the pool. There were, there were uh, car jams outside. There was the, these security guards. It was like a, one of these 1980s um, uh, teen movies, you know? Yeah, it was, right, right.
0: absolutely. Yeah, no, it does, the way you describe it. But it sounds like this was... Uh, at least uh, once the, the trauma of the, you know, just how tiring, how exhausting this kind of thing is worn off, yeah. then you've got a way better collection of memories and stories to tell than you would yeah. have if you'd been booked into venues by a regular tour manager. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the story of that tour is an incredible story and it's been poured over in other interviews by band members. Yeah. Um, it was almost the end of the band, to be quite honest. I, I remember we were we we were we were about to split up. I mean, it was a horrible. We were exhausted at the end of our tether, broke, starving, and we we stopped the van on the lip of the Grand Canyon and, and got th- out. Thought,
0: thought and about and doing had... thought about doing a Thelma and Louise. That, that was...
1: <laughs> I, there was a huge shouting match, and you know everyone was very angry and walked off and uh and we left it for an hour and then uh, you know somebody snapped us all back together and said look of course we're going to be able to finish this tour of course we're going to get be able to get to LA, and the gig in LA is going to be great and we're going to get money and then from LA we're going to be able to go to the next place and and it's all going to work out and we'll get another record deal and we'll make another record and um so there was there was a lot of that you know pep yeah. talks and trying to keep going um, with with that tour. But we completed the tour and we ended up in New York uh, at the end of it um, and flew back to Glasgow. And uh, that really changed the mindset of the band completely. I
0: mean, Uh, having, having done it, you could say we've done it, right? That, when no matter how hard it was, once it's over, it's one of these. One of these things I keep saying is, uh, it once, you know. Here I am standing here comfortably in a warm home. I don't, I can't properly remember what feeling cold is like. I can't comfortably. I can't really remember what pain is like right now. You know? Yeah, but it's just those. Those are those are feelings, somatic feelings that we. You know, they don't they don't really come out in episodic memory, whereas, mm. you know, you've you've got this. You can remember the episodic parts of it, but the stress, the pain, the discomfort, mm-hmm. the uh, the exhaustion that passes, you know, and memories change over time. So mm. after that, after that, you've at least got no, depending, I don't know if, what it was like for you back then, but for sure it's done. You You toured America. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, I remember at the time. Um, obviously, we we would do these gigs in small record shops and wherever we were. Yep. We were busking at yep. one point in New, New Orleans just to get money to eat food. Yep. I think I, I was. I remember walking around the, the, the tourist streets in New Orleans with fifty cents in my pocket, looking to see if I could actually get something to eat for fifty cents. <laughs> yes. So yes. It was down to that level. Uh, and then then on the other hand everywhere we went you know it was the, it was the heyday of MTV right. in the public places mm-hmm. and bars and um they had um Madonna Papa don't preach playing right. constantly and um uh um uh, uh, the, the Straits um, um money for nothing and your chicks for free yep uh, playing constantly yep. two very very accessible records and mm-hmm. and I remember that whole tour, these two records constantly haunting me in every public place. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make a record like that yeah. and get on TV no, I mean, and I, stay I, in the night of
0: town to, to, uh, to, uh, I, well, <coughs> one of the things that happened I in the last week or so, last a bit more than a week, I I, I started a thread on a forum that I lurk on. Well I I take part in. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter which one uh and i uh in which i wanted to say quintessential 80s pop song so that's the title of the thing the quintessential 80s pop song so everybody has to chip in with the quintessential and i defined it uh as we not your favorite 80s pop song not a good one even Mm. but what song represents the new rapacious 80s egocentric Philistine consumerism. Oh, All Money for nothing, your chicks for free. Can't do better than that, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and MT and even mentions MTV, right? Yeah. yeah. Even mentions MTV. Now, what came out of this thread for me was most people didn't post a link or just a name of a song or whatever. They didn't describe something. They just put a YouTube link in. So, yeah. You got the so you got a YouTube in vet. So so it's like sixteen pages later, like several hundred posts later. What came out of this for me, a number of things came out of it, for me, But one of them was music videos really changed pop music in a big way. And they I mean, the the business had always been pop music business, as a as in a business we're gonna sell records whatever Mm -hmm. that's the business right it's channel management limited distribution where if you want to listen to pop music on your own equipment at home or on the radio this is how we do it and we manage that and we're going to make money out of managing that now that that obviously produced a, a a kind of a kind of beauty contest uh in which for example Elvis Presley won a prize and the Beatles won a prize and the Stones won a prize etc and then video comes along and it's all different now because there's another kind of there's another dimension to the beauty contest which is the video and you had to make them too right you had to you had uh, to make music videos
1: yeah um i mean we we had made a couple of very basic
2: videos, um, mm. up to that which are, were, which I've I've put on the Substack page, by the mm. way,
0: and they're included in the thread that I that I am referring to here.
2: Ah, yeah, of okay. course.
1: So where where were we, we? We were at M- MTV and and the the necessity yeah. of um uh, of, of of bands. Uh, well, bands were, were spending more money on the video than recording the the record at, yeah. at that. Time. Yeah. And and there may there may still be an element of that going on. Um, I don't know, but um,
2: yeah, almost certainly. I, you know, I, I, I,
1: I, I I just I just re- remember. I mean, the the tour the tour was an amazing thing to do, and um, uh, an incredible rite of passage and an extraordinary experience. But it it, it really brought out. You know, in many respects, the worst of of of, of all of us, uh, of me, uh, and other people. But in you know, it, it, you're really, really pushed. Um, and yeah. I, I just came to the conclusion that um, I, I could never do this again, a tour like that again, or or um, operate under those conditions again. Even though it was amazing, and it, it and it was taunting. It was taunting and teasing every time we went into a public place to see, uh, you know, Madonna or, um, you know, the the big bands uh, with their big music play, mm. playing. And again, it was that situation that the, the 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 TV monitors would be switched off and it'd be like, and now we have a band from Scotland and uh, we'd play and people would be, you know, a lot of people who didn't know who we were or why we were there in the audience would be a bit nonplussed by the music. Yep. Because mm. it just didn't, didn't come over uh the way normal pop music came over yeah um and i, I and i think really that experience uh, triggered a, a massive musical uh direction change with the band and personnel personnel change as well um and it, and it sort of came to be really um in the in the late 80s um that that we we regarded or the remaining members of the band who were in the band um carrying on regarded this first album as a bit of a bit of a, a gruesome embarrassment uh, something not to be talked about or uh, or, or brought to the fore in so any what group.
0: what but then what was to be proud of pardon so if the if the album if the self-titled first album was not the yeah. thing to be
1: proud of what was yeah. Yeah, well, we we had all kind of moved on, and um, what happened? The first thing that happened in in the end of ni- nineteen eighty six was a lineup tri- change with the band, uh, the departure of one, one of our guitarists, and then then the the three of us started working on um, just changing the direction of the music, really, to a kind of more traditional format. Uh, let's say um uh so we got a new guitarist in who who was a much more kind of traditional um lead guitarist um and uh, he came in with his ideas and we started writing new material and really by 1987 1988 we had maybe an album and half's worth of very commercial material yeah uh, and by that point we had sort of signed a, a huge recording contract uh with AM records and uh, and uh, you know had enormous rec- recording budgets and you know all the trappings um,
2: yeah. um uh, would this be a moment for you to talk about what's often referred to as the lost album
1: yeah there, there is some i've noticed there is there there is some stuff on the internet there are some tracks on the internet that that mm-hmm. are, are, is described as a lost album and and really the lost album it's not really an album it's just material that had been written um directly after the recording of the first album
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know it, it was a bit like okay well we, we you know the, the 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 first album songs had been around for a couple of years Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So yeah, there that's just, always the word.
1: constantly new material coming out and being yeah. demoed, um, but we, we 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 immediately ditched all of that um, in its entirety uh, when the lineup changed, um, and and for instance, when the lineup changed and we did gigs, we we never played any of the material off the first album again. So there was a um,
0: conscious switch to a more commercial pop sound after that American tour.
1: I think you could call it conscious, but I, I'm I'm not so sure that it well, was
0: if you if you said that there was there was a a perception, or at least you thought that the band had turned its yeah. back on the first album. Yeah. Because it was such a big commercial failure. And, For me and, I mean, and that and that out and that tour was such an abject experience in mm. some respects at least. Um yeah. then you know, we're we're going to do it different from now on. We're going to make music that people actually want to pay for,
1: and, and then get a nice hotel room to stay in and right. something. To, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. It, there, there was never any kind of discussion about it. Um, it was more sort of let. It was more sort of right. Well, let's sit in the pub and and l- let's all kind of emotionally vent, and the venting. Was uh, I don't want to carry on doing it this way. I, I want to have some success. I want to have hit records uh, that I played on the radio, and I, I, I want to have a career. From well, this after
0: on. all, it was the nineteen eighties, and success was what, what the eighties was all about.
1: Um, yeah, and I think I think young men that age. I think we just got really, really fed up of um, being. Mm vilified. Um, yeah. The, you know, but, of course, and, I'm not saying
0: it's a bad thing. I'm, I'm just, yeah. I just saw like once again, uh, Gavin and I do this thing of historical contextualization all the yeah. time. In fact, it must be wow. really boring to our listeners, except the listeners that listen to more than one show, who maybe they like it. I don't know. Mm. Um, but is the uh, is the historical contextualization the 80s was Thatcher, Reagan, it was wall street it was it was a time when people were proud to have jobs in marketing in banks and to carry filofaxes
2: around yeah. you know it was the 80s except, yeah except tom i think you're seeing that in the two blinkered view mm. that's certainly that because remember history is always written by the victors that's uh, that's one side of it but the 80s was also channel four the '80s was also, you know, weird stuff suddenly getting on TV. You no, know, getting...
0: it, it's true that, the, and that's something that also comes out in in that uh, pop music thread that I put together. Also, I yeah. mean, I you you mentioned earlier uh, John Lydon, and in the in the beginning, sorry, you're out of tea, huh? You want to go and make another pot? No, never mind. Um, the, in in my uh, so a couple of years ago, uh, for a friend. I put together an 80s pop music playlist on YouTube. Mm. It's got more than 60 tr- songs in it. But the first one is Public Image. That's a bit weird. And it goes down the list from there. Oh, Gavin's doing something. Mm. Have you got something quite psychedelic coming from Gavin?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think those pills are starting to work. Oh, that's oh. great, though. And
0: down, uh, down, hold all the way down. Let, let me pull it up for you, just to confirm oh, yeah. Gavin's point here. So we go down. Actually, number four on the list is, is television. They got a special bump up, even though they're a seventies band: Dead Kennedys, Big Black, The Minutemen, uh, Husker Du, mm. Yeah, The Jesus Lizard, uh, Rape Man. Uh, Black Flag, UK subs, Mission of Burma, Butthole Surfers, The Cramps. You know, yeah. I've, you know, the eighties was a very fun time as well. It was a transition mm. period um, to the the, the monochrome um, kind of commercialism yeah. that we yeah. that we had later. Uh, but there, I mean, Tom Waits. There's going down the list. Sonic Youth, for goodness' sake, was an eighties band. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, the Talking Heads were still doing good stuff in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> uh,
2: and so it goes on and on and on. <clears throat> There's another story that, uh, that actually uh, Paul and I were talking about. Uh, maybe it doesn't sound so directly related, but I think it is. Because uh, Paul and I hung out a couple of weeks ago in Scotland. And uh, we were talking about something which actually, Tom, you and I did a, a podcast about, which was the film After Hours. Yeah. And, of course, Justin was um, at some stage doing a a course at Glasgow Uni on uh, film and media studies.
1: TV and film studies.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And so this, this meant that he got access to sort of, you know, weird movies and stuff. And you told me about seeing After Hours round at Justin's flat fairly shortly after it came out.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, okay, right, we discussed after hours, Tom, you and I. Yep. And, uh, and you know, we, we probably made our, our sort of clever comments about it and were a bit snide or whatever. But you told me, Paul, about actually seeing this film and then going home to Beth then <laughs> thinking... Jesus what was that <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah Well we we also we also watched apocalypse now and yeah. and you know various other Scorsese films Um I I think I think there was there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the 80s and and you know you do you do think back or, or you know or, or when popular med- media re- regurgitate the 80s for us you know one of these kind of remember the 80s shows you yeah. always, always play the kind of uh, I think I mentioned Paula Abdul. Um,
2: mm.
1: that, that's you know I remember Paula Abdul as the the biggest sellout record. Uh, you know um, I can't remember her. She had two or three records that came out in the eighties, but they they were all the same, um, uh, very, very very formulaic. Or uh, here in the UK, Banana Rama. Remember them?
2: Oh, yeah. oh yes, sure.
1: yeah. That I mean I remember that going on all through the eighties. <laughs> But there, there, there was definitely a lot of other stuff going on. Um, oh my god! Yes, do you want me
0: to go through my pop list? I'm, I'm, I'm we, uh, was an 80s band. Yeah, um, absolutely.
2: uh Howl Collapse, I think, is 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 1980. Fetus, you know, Jim Thurwell. the the Cocteau Twins. Hmm. Say again.
1: Cocteau Twins.
0: Yes, Cocteau Twins oh. is further down on my list. Uh, the oh. Residents, Psychic TV. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's true.
0: No, probably, but the the '80s was was really was really the sort of like separation into here's commercial culture, this is what's on MTV, and here's how you blah blah blah. And there was an underground, but it was still very possible in the '80s because of the way the economy was was working at that time in the UK, also in America. Presumably, also in a lot of Europe, it was very, uh, it was very easy for subcultures to develop themselves and to produce oh. and to entertain people. This was still happening in the U.S. when I arrived here in the mid '90s, um, and has i mean at the moment i mean to 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 get to the the ultimate destination of course the ultimate destination is now there is no future you know it's very very difficult because rents are so high cities are extremely expensive to live in because and 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 being a student is a very expensive thing to do, so being a student is some isn't something that just like middle-class kids can do and then goof off on mm-hmm. and fail at and go to gigs and pay their pocket mm-hmm. money to go to go and see an experimental or weird band or whatever. Um, in other words, the support mm-hmm. and the, the support isn't there because the, you know, the, uh, the kids aren't, aren't, the young people aren't looking for something a bit weird and the, uh, and the rents are too high to even rehearse. Yeah. I mean finding and a rehearsal space in Boston for a band if I tried to do it right now, I would have to be paying
2: like thirty bucks an hour and
0: yeah i'd have to and I'd have to subsidize the transport for everybody to get
2: here and things are a lot more compartmentalized as well. I mean, you guys went on tour with the fall i mean that's that's that kind of juxtaposition <laughs> no promoter would do that these days. Yeah. Um,
1: um, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that was that was before before we recorded this album, and and that was during the period where, um, um, say, for instance, the Fall were were doing a, a tour around the UK. They needed a support band. A support band needed to be found, uh, and a promoter would come up with a, a suitable support band.
0: And the fall, um, in the nineteen eighties, the Fall wasn't exactly a commercial proposition either. Apart from the not. fact, apart from the fact that uh, Peel liked them, didn't that yes. come later um,
2: anyway? No, I, I, this was. I don't,
1: think, I don't think the Fall were ever really a commercial proposition. <laughs>
2: no, probably um, not.
1: Um, no. and, and certainly going on tour with them. Yes. No, and,
0: and, and in any case, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really support your your idea there, Gavin, of there being some sort of a, a, a genre divide between Delamitri and the Fall, because the Fall isn't a musical genre remotely by any. Uh, the, what the hell is that musically? It, it defies oh. definition. It's a uh, the Fall is a is a lifestyle proposition. It's the defiance of growing up.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: I, I remember those four gigs, and it, it 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 was the time when uh, Brixie um, had married Brixie had married um, Mark Smith. Yep. Um, and Brixie was an incredibly enigmatic and glamorous young woman, and so the fall had a very very visually interesting front new front person. Yep. And I I remember the the gigs being absolutely full of very very drunk, (laughs) um, um, ageing punks and so on and so forth, and um, they they were the audience were going mad for Brixie. Um, I actually thought at the time the Fall were going to become a mainstream pop band.
0: Yeah. Mm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't of, the only one. They sort of tried to become, didn't they? Not long after that.
1: Um, I, 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 I mean, I think they, I mean, I think the, was pushing them in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, and they were certainly going in that direction. And uh, they they started doing um, more slick videos and and more accessible stuff but they they only really became a national treasure really um, in the thousands
2: mm, um, yes definitely
1: um, uh, you know and and cer- certainly our supporting them, was not through any kind of benign connection with Mark Smith or anything. Like <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the idea at the time was, well, we, we need to find a support band uh, for the fall. Who Who's acceptable? Who, c- who can we get on? Yeah. And, and quite often, um, the support band was deliberately chosen to kind of slightly repel the audience uh, in, in order that when the main band came on uh, the audience were excited and yes relieved.
0: you know that does make sense doesn't it no it does make sense because I mean the repelling can be an, if, if the repelling is an angering it's an enervating thing then <laughs> yeah why wouldn't you want that if you're the fall
1: Um, so I, I don't think any members of the fall actually knew who we were, or really were that that interested. Uh, I think the gigs came through the promoter. It was certainly a very in- interesting experience supporting them, though. Uh, uh, certainly, with all the interest with Brixie and um, and the incredible masculine energy going on, uh, they they played um, sort of five hundred to seven hundred and fifty capacity nightclub venues in glasgow um when when we supported them yeah and it it, it was a very sweaty kind of grubby uh affair really i mean you know
0: those seated venues or
1: no no standing yeah standing yeah 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 nightclubs basically
0: yeah
1: um but i i I think I i think growing up and you know being on tour with a band like that is very very interesting. it was also very interesting being on tour with the Smiths uh, when we when we toured with them um, uh, and 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 certainly very interesting going on tour and supporting Lloyd Cole and the commotions as well yeah and uh, you see did you get to know these guys at all
0: I mean did you did you get to spend any time just like becoming a little bit friendly with them? Any of them.
1: We were friendly we were certainly friendly with um the members of the commotion's yeah, yeah. um Good. and uh, the smiths were lovely uh, chap uh, chaps um, uh, Johnny Marr um and um the bass player Orourke uh, they they were really lovely guys very hospitable very chatty they liked to come up and talk and they were very interested in what we were doing yeah. uh, I would yeah. say real artists yeah. and Morrissey was indifferent different I, mm. I remember I, I was kind of quite scared of Morrissey really because he, he he was quite unapproachable, and I got I got locked in the ladies' toilets with him um, by the janitor. <laughs> what? Oh, what? <laughs> I I don't I don't know why I didn't use the gents, but I went into the ladies. And <laughs> To, I don't know, use the sink or something. It was, oh, the ladies' toilets were always cleaner. And then I heard the door opening and I, w- I went and hid in a cubicle. And uh, it, it, Morrissey came in and plucked his eyebrows for about 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> deadly quiet.
0: Fucking <laughs> okay, now. Yes, I, I mean, I, Smith is, is an interesting case for me because during. Uh, during my uh, my college years and the, and the years after the the Smiths was sort of like an important cultural touchstone for some people I knew. Yeah. and i uh, I found at that time Morrissey pretty repellent. Um, but I couldn't help it. How soon is now is like one of the most gloriously pornographic guitar driven. Pop songs of its era. Um, it sounds so good, and mm-hmm. I and I rate Johnny Mars' work with the, the later. Um, you know, he's he's solid, but mm-hmm. and then going back to it and trying to listen to the the famous pop songs from Morrison, trying to understand what it is that the people I was sorry, the Smiths' pop songs. They were trying to understand what it was about. Morrissey's charisma as a musician, the charisma that comes through, not him as a person, because obviously that doesn't come through from a a, a, a pop star, something, some stage persona, some musical persona, or something like that comes through. What it is. And uh, I admit that these days, yeah, there are a few of the songs where there's a certain kind of mischievousness um, to his presentation which is quite appealing there's a Mm. there's a naive mischievousness a um, uh,
2: kind of fae quality
0: yeah a little fae but that's not really the point it's 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 as because one of the big problems with pop music at the time was that the the glossy pop musician was repellent to this class of audience that was into, into the Smiths, um, the glossy pop audience, you know, the, um, you know, the well-produced, the, the very elegant, the very macho, the very, um, you know, the, 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 properly, a proper sexual role model, right. For a man, um, that's, that's not Morrissey. It's something, he's something more very self-conscious about his deficiencies, if you know what I mean. And that sometimes very successfully comes across in the, in some of the pop songs. Uh, a lot of it's just, I don't know, doesn't He's, doesn't a, he's a kind of
1: me. anti-pop hero, really. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I didn't really get him at the time, but uh, again, he's become a, a sort of national treasure, really. Right. And, it's a little and embarrassing,
0: not... but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: He doesn't come across as contrived or or invented or necessarily following the uh yeah
0: and the, the, i th- and I think in that way act and in that way i yes not contrived that's a good way of putting it I, I i hesitate to use the word authentic these days because it's such a complicated word but um but yes and 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 marky e. Smith in the same way they mm. they're they're doing something that seems like they're doing themselves, you know,
2: they're, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's the real deal.
0: It's the real deal. Again, I hesitate to use that word. And Mm. it's also flying in the face of something else that the audience does. They're rooting for you, flying in the face of that, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. This, this great big, no great big commercial other. Yeah. Okay. Right? Um and uh yeah, so so that, that sort of comes across sometimes. I I you know I I wasn't I wasn't no, I wasn't into pop music at the time, so I don't really know how to talk about it, but um I can only sort of like look back on it as um mm-hmm. as I got more into pop music from that year, I guess in my forties actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so the Smiths interesting case, and the Fall, good and interesting case. Lloyd Cole, I've got to go and listen to again. I've forgotten what they sound like. What um, else? I think
1: we also um, we also supported um, a band called um, the Blow Monkeys. I don't know if yes. you remember. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, And again, I, I wondered why we were on the, why we were on the bill with them. <laughs> It was a strange uh, that that was a strange juxtaposition, but I, I think that's mainly to do with promoters, you know, and and also they want you know they want a safe they want to be able to flog a safe band, you know, one yeah. that will mm-hmm. turn up and play. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think I think we were we were working off the back of uh, the John Peel session and the single we had and all mm-hmm. of that. Stuff. So when so,
0: when you but you we as we confirmed earlier, you did a second um, BBC session in
2: eighty six.
1: Yeah, for, for uh, radio uh, for BBC Scotland. Yes. Okay.
2: No, but you did another Peel session as well, uh, which was presented by Muriel Gray. As far as I
1: know, we only recorded one Peel session, and and I think uh, no. I think the second session. I've Uh I've actually heard a second session on YouTube and I've listened to it and it sounds to me like that second session is not actually really a proper session at all. It sounds to me that what's happened is the BBC have come to the record company and said, we'd like to have the band in for another session. And for some reason, the band have, the, the record company have Remixed some of the tracks uh, from the actual album hmm. and provided oh. these tracks as the session um, because I don't remember going into the studio to record a second John Peel session
2: huh.
1: um, it, it's possible the session you're talking about was in fact a, a Mike Reed session Mike Reed did 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock on Radio 1. John Peel did 10 to 12. Yeah. So Mike Reed was uh-huh. a bit more um, mainstream pop. Uh-huh. And I think after we recorded the first album, part of the promotion of that by the record company was to generate a, a Radio 1 session for us. And I think, I rather suspect what the record companies and the BBC were doing at that time, and it, and of course it makes sense, it saves money, is oh. what you do is you just remix uh, your album track and provide it to the BBC, and they don't really know any better. Mm. And you don't have to get any additional studio time or get the band in for a day, or even have all of that uncertainty of the band going in for a, for a session and perhaps the session not working out so well and, and they're not sounding so good. So it was a, mm. that, that was probably a great way for the record company to just make sure... That whatever yeah. was played uh, was up to scratch and of, mm. of a of a qualifying quality. Uh, oh, so yeah. I don't I don't think that second session was a real session, and I think yeah. it was for the Mike Reed show.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, you. but uh, but what yeah. what Tom's talking about is a is was a, a live Radio Scotland broadcast. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. which we're going to put up on the Substack page. I'm done. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that 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 was in, in 1986, mm-hmm. uh, after we got back from America. And uh, on that session, um, we, I think it was live television, we played tracks from the first album, but also from the um, so-called lost second album. Right, right. So learned. the
0: material that you, you've been working on since... Yeah, yeah. Yeah then oh cool so that that's the what the band that's a bit more like what the band would sound like if they were playing live as opposed to in a multi-track studio
1: actually it's pretty good it's a pretty good live recording
0: i listened to a little bit of it and it sounds quality yeah i mean bbc you would expect them to at least get the microphones in the right place but you know um but that was so as far as you remember that was the band playing in unison
1: that was the band playing yeah. together it, yeah. it, it and the lineup that played on the first album
2: right yeah okay and that
1: that was probably one of the last gigs we did as that lineup All right i All right. i seem to remember i don't i don't think we did very much else i think we we used to, we used to do a regular uh show every few months at the original marquee club down in london and that oh. used to be packed out and they, they were usually one offs or we'd be on tour supporting Lloyd Cole and the commotions and then play in London. But um I, I that that was I think that uh, that BBC recording that we're alluding to is 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 the last recording of that lineup. Um
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Cool. Well thanks for sharing that with us. Look, uh we've been going for nearly well, we've been going for over two hours now, but uh, there's still some other questions i've got on my mind which okay. is first of all have i i looked on discogs and i saw that uh, under your you know performer database record the credits were pretty limited it seemed to be limited to reissues and compilations and whatnot have you been playing since you left Delamitri?
1: Uh, not not that much. Uh, I've got I've got credits on the second album, which was, uh, I believe, a platinum-selling album. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, yes, you're you're definitely on that one, and there yeah. are some credits for for issue that I that look like there were issues of recordings that you had made up to that point. Yeah. But I mean, you said that you were not involved in Delamitri from 1990 going forwards.
1: Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And, and yeah. no music. No music sort of activities since then
1: um, yeah I have had musical activities but um, yeah. I decided at that time that I needed to uh, I, I was I was 24 when yeah. I I left Delamitri so that that's kind of going from age 15 to 24 yeah and yeah. a lot of stuff had happened and um, I decided that I needed to do something that I had more control of personally yes yeah um, the trouble i, yeah, the tr- a good the trouble I was having with bands was that you know you, you you're in a kind of marriage with four or five or even six other people yeah and uh, you know you're kind of stuck and landed with that situation and sometimes you know you can have a great creative time with people but if you're contracted to constantly work with them um you know the th- the, the whole uh vibe can go off the boil or you oh, i don't want to be in the room with that person or whatever so i suppose i decided I, I didn't really want to be in any other bands or on that on that roller coaster anymore so i i went on a photography course in glasgow i went to college for three years to study photography and then um everything just took off uh, after that yeah. um uh, so I had a career as a photographer. So I didn't play drums or really get involved in music, really for about seven or eight years, um, a- until uh, I I bought a house in in London and uh, I installed the drum kit in the in the basement of the house. So I started playing again, um, and then I've had a whole kind of run of interesting. Um, experiences with what I call social music really Uh, there was a period of time in London where I was doing regular gigs small gigs was working with a whole load of local singers and songwriters but not really with the aspiration of releasing records or um, getting things on the radio or any of that work
0: Hmm. just doing stuff for fun
1: Really nice, nice to look forward to doing a gig with people yeah, yeah. every couple of weeks.
0: No, that's exactly what I want to try and get going here. I don't know how to uh, do it. Good, but good
1: luck to you because that, that's that's some of the best part, part parts of music really is the social aspect.
0: I think I honestly think that, so, that, that that recorded music and video just they they modify things so much because the finished pro it turns it into a product a product mm-hmm. that has to be quality. It has to be, you know, listened to in that exact form time and time again by so many different people. It has to be good. That changes everything. If you can mm-hmm. go to a gig and, and just play, uh, the risks are lower. You can enjoy yourselves. And when you're done, you're done. You go home, you know, on to the next thing. It's like having a conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and
1: mean, moreover, uh, uh, you know, during that spell with Delamitri, I mean, we had, we had incredible success, uh, and uh, and incredible things happened. But then, you know, I I don't really talk about you know the the couple of years languishing on the dole, or uh, uh, you know, being being skint all the mm. time, or um, yeah. not really being com- able to commit to other things because you were waiting for the record for the record deal or you were waiting for, for your boat to come in and in, in, in something or other. So. Um, I mean, all I, kinds I
0: mean, of, which we can describe as all kinds of just chronic stress. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: and, and, it, you know, it's, it's kind of good, good. It's good and empowering to have a feeling that you, you, you can stand on your own two feet and get on with your life and, and you, you, you yeah. have autonomy um, I think when you're in a band, um, it, it can be the best thing ever uh, for a while, but I don't think it, it, that lasts forever. Uh, ser- certainly, you know, looking at my band Delimitri, they've had so many lineup changes, so many different drummers, guitarists, different people in there working. The only thing that has really changed uh, has has stayed the same over the years um, is 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 uh, Justin Curry, the vocalist. Yeah. Um, um, one of the original guitar systems were there. Um, and, and you can kind of, you can kind of see the business model as well. Um, mm. uh, you know, musicians need to be hired uh, and uh, and they go they go on tour and then they, they go off and do something else or people are just there for making an album. Um, uh, wh- when I was in the band, it, it definitely felt like a family. Sometimes we were best of friends. Sometimes we were worst of enemies. But you definitely felt like you were part of a family. I've, I've I've heard other musicians describe it as being part of a gang, or you know, yeah. belonging to the mafia. You know, and, and in this mafia, I was a made guy. You know, um, <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't going to be going into someone else's mafia um, as 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 a as a, a, a foot soldier or something like that. If you've been a made guy, it's difficult to go go back um and, yeah. and just be a, an employee, as it were. Um
2: yeah.
1: and you know, I had a I've had a really, really good run uh, with my photography business um as well. Um but I, I just wanted to say something actually um about this album. I, I, I think I've been um a little bit critical mm-hmm. of it. Um in telling the story of it, um, I actually didn't listen to it for almost twenty years. Wow! I couldn't listen to it. I, I, I really, you know, which which, which twenty a, years
0: 20, specifically? Which twenty years was that?
1: Um, um, uh, sort of, sort of from the the late eighties until the mid um, the mid thousands.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and what happened was, um. I I was in a town in England called Leicester, mm-hmm. um, buying a very large, uh, luxurious car, as it happens, uh, in, in the late thousands. And I went into a record shop and I was amazed to see that this album was still for sale uh, uh, on CD. Uh, and and I thought, wow, that how how did that happen? Is anyone buying this? Um, so I bought it, and I also bought this beautiful car, and I um I I was cruising down the M1 back towards London at about eighty five miles an hour with the sunroof open, and I I, I thought I put I've just bought this album, I'll put it in the CD player and see if the CD player works in this car, how it sounds. And the car had a fantastic audio system. And I listened to this album four times. And I actually thought that it it was very good. I didn't think that it was part of me or that I'd had any involvement of it. Um, But it certainly didn't sound to me like an 80s album. It didn't really sound like a, a a 90s album it didn't really sound like an album that had come out in 2007. Um, Mm. It just sounded like sort of a piece of music uh, akin to itself. And um, I had feedback from other members of the band um, who are still going um, that, you know, they, they also hated it um, and, and, you know, couldn't abide by it and didn't even want to talk about it. But subsequently, after some time, they can see the merit in it and value in it, mm. um, and see some depth in it as well. Um, and I actually think it's a pretty good record if you like lyrics. Um, yeah. Um, and and some sometimes the music is interesting. Um. And it, you know, it, 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 there are some risks taken there. There's some interesting production on it. But if you gave this album to me and you said, uh, here's, a, here's a piece of music made by a band um, last year that I've just discovered, you wouldn't say, oh, that that sounds really old-fashioned or that sounds really 80s. No, um, no you wouldn't. And so, you know, I think get, given that it's our, you know... The, the embarrassment of Delam- Delamitri's graces embarrassment or 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 the the kind of um thing we never talk about it's it's actually a really interesting piece of work um and i you know i i do listen to about once every 6 months i put it on and i listen to it and and i i don't really lose interest in it so i'm very very pleased about that because i'm not sure i would say the same about some of Delamitri's more commercial records that they put out later, or we put out later, mm-hmm. um, I think there's something special about it, and I, I do think if people who are interested in um, uh and and who, 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 who whose attention is taken up by them, I, I, w- I would recommend that they they have a listen to it and see how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, what they think about it because
0: these days honestly i think that they probably have done because they've got streaming right uh but hang on a second this is an important question is it on spotify Mm -hmm. Oh yes, it is. It, it is. is. Yeah, I tried to yeah. find it on Spotify and couldn't find it. But I don't have Spotify, so I have I have difficulties finding things there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. No. So in, yeah. So I'm I'm sure that's not very difficult. I I, I I'm going to disagree with you. I think it does sound like an '80s album. It sounds oh. like yeah. No, I think it sounds like '80s jangle pop. It sounds like oh. a. It sounds like it's got that that Smiths influence. It definitely sounds yeah. a bit like REM and it's it's it sounds like it sounds like the 80s to me but uh-huh. it does sound um uh fairly polished it, i mean it's it's not my thing but that's beside the point here isn't it uh i mean billy eilish isn't my thing so what does it matter uh-huh. no i th- i think it does have a it, it it interestingly given that exercise i went through over the last week or two on the forum, getting the '80s pop music together, the vast majority of it is not guitar oriented. the The '80s went in for uh, for the keyboards, real big, and they went in for synthetic drum sounds, real big. And mm. uh Delimitri was was still hanging on to the to the old um, electric guitars and acoustic drums, mm. and th- honestly that makes a difference so the actually for for 1985 production it sort of it distinguishes itself at least in that regard um i mean there's funny stuff in there one of the my own initial contribution was was a song from that period um do you remember aha take me on or take on me whichever it was
1: very much, yes.
0: Yes. I mean, hilarious song. I, honestly, I, I, it, every time I go to my local dive bar, um, for some reason, that's always on the playlist uh, there. <laughs> and I, the, that extraordinary falsetto that's used in it, I just do a, a, a thing for that because um, I love it so much. But in the music video for it, there's a teenager bopping around with a guitar. There aren't any guitars in that. Song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the '80s for you. You know, it's just mm. um, this. Th- this was the this was the manufacture of music through electronics, and um, mm. you know, and essentially, uh, you know, something akin to strippers. You know, it's we've got beautiful young things that we can get in front of an audience, bopping around mm. and showing how beautiful they are.
1: Whereas looking at my notes here, um, yeah, and earlier on in the, the podcast, I. I'd written down uh, and and listed off the mantra of things that we we, we were not to have in our right. music. Yes, but I, I just look at the notes here, and uh, there's a note here saying that um, I, I won't say who the member of the band was, but they 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 said they 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 would slit their own throat. Uh, have
0: a, a yamaha dx7 on the later. <laughs> exactly the dx7 is the sound yeah. of the 80s isn't it
2: yeah uh, well, except uh, there was a very interesting side effect to to uh telemetry's um very heavy guitar counterpoint mm, yeah very thick counterpoint which was that they were they were hugely popular in portugal <laughs> because yeah, so if you've, you've ever stop, heard
0: you've got a theory about this haven't you
2: well, yeah, it, it's Fado. I mean, if yeah. you've ever listened to Fado and the kind of guitar work that goes on there, yep. then it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think the first we, place that you went outside of Britain was Portugal. We
1: had we had a hit in Portugal, and we we played in Portugal. We also had a bit of a hit in Italy, I believe, mm. um, and and apparently in Greece. Mm, nice, um, mm. and uh, I think I think it did okay in Germany. Um, it actually did okay in the UK, but the the press just slated it.
0: You know, I think the UK yeah. market in the in the late seventies and throughout the eighties and possibly beyond, because I left in eighty seven. Um, I think the the UK was sort of uniquely political about music. I mean, this exists everywhere where music is used as an as as the identity around which. Uh, social groups form, and then you distance yourself from the from the enemies who are, who've got different music, yeah. right? But uh, that that that's a thing that happens. But in the UK, business was made out of this. The record companies made money out of it. The newspapers made money out of it. And people got on board with that in the UK in in a way that I think went beyond what happened here in the US, and I think uh, throughout the rest of Europe as well. Um, the, so, so, for, and what I mean by political, so for example, the, the heavy metal punk rock exclusion principle just didn't operate in some other places, but it did in the UK during that mm. period. You can't be into prog rock and the sex pistols at the same time. I, I mean, mm. I like the sound of the sex pistols, even though I like Jethro Tull, you know, I still do, mm. but I don't see the problem. But that's that this was a, a kind of a social music as social currency, as the currency with win, with which you build up your social capital within peer groups. The music was so political in the UK and it, it still sort of piss me, pisses me off a bit.
1: Yeah, that 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 was actually almost everything. uh yeah, that that that's a very very peculiar phenomena. And I I remember we turn up in um, say for instance we turn up in uh, to do we did a few gigs in Amsterdam. Mm. I remember the first time we turned up at the Milkveg Club in Amsterdam, and it was like going back to nineteen sixty eight. Uh, the, the the entire audience were wearing flares and had bare bare feet. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, you know. Uh, Girls were wearing caftans. Lovely, and the, you know there was a heavy smell of marijuana. And uh, well, I, I actually, that that audience that audience loved elementary music. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. that was really really strange. And I, I remember playing um, a festival in Switzerland. I think it was Basel, or I don't know why they hired us to play at the Basel Jazz Festival, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, ah,
2: Neither do I. I can't answer that question for you. <laughs> no, they've uh, just been listening to your drumming off the album. <laughs> uh,
1: the, the, the place was full of uh, from hippies, hippies, from the 1970s. That yeah. was, yeah. was really really weird. Uh, where did they all go in the UK?
0: Yeah, no, it's a good yeah. question. That's uh, a,
2: that's what I was saying. Uh, the you know the UK became a lot more categorised. Yes. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree with I agree with that, but there was still I mean the the fall isn't you can't put in a category. I don't, I don't even, no, even no. agree that the fall is a punk rock band. I, uh, I all think right, it's, yeah, it's somehow somehow beyond categories.
2: All right, I'll make it a bit easier for you. I do remember Paul giving an interview for I think the Melody Maker or something like that, and them asking you about musical influences, and you said. I've been listening to a lot of Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Good for you. Which is exactly the sort of thing that you would say just to get the journalist going. And the rest of the band turned around and said, yes, and it fucking shows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that would have been heresy back in the Yeah, day. exactly, <laughs> it would have been, yeah. Yes,
0: yes. but I, 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 I still insist side one of Tarkas is, is really good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Once again, this takes us too far afield <laughs> No, let's,
0: let's come back to I want to I want, uh, um, having, having renewed Reviewed your um, You know, the, the story about how you came back To listen to the, the first album again It's mm. beautiful But um, I, I want to be Self-indulgent here and ask about Do you remember The times that we personally Met, you, me, Paul do you remember any times that that happened? I believe I can remember one.
1: Yeah, I, I think I met you once, um, perhaps twice, and I, I believe you were playing music with uh, w- with Gavin's outfit yes. next, and um, I may have been around around about at that time to help with something or other. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I was playing drums, but I, I certainly remember you. Okay. Um, yeah, because
0: and... I, I, I have approximately the same kind of vagueness about this.
1: Yeah. I, I think
0: I've got this feeling that you might have been there at the event that Gavin remembers as being the last time we had met before a 37 year break.
2: Uh, uh that... I don't know. I, I don't, you were certainly at the Mitchell Theatre gig. Because you were on stage trying to mix the sound whilst we were playing,
0: really? Yeah. Oh, good for you! Because they really fucked us up with the sound at that gig. So stupid! They did a, su- um, a sub mix; it was really daft.
1: There, there was a rehearsal or a gathering of next the next band. I I, I can't work out when Vox Humana stopped and next started, but um, I, I remember there was a. a um, a kind of rehearsal or a gathering or something going Mm -hmm. on at the bass player's parents' house, which was in Hindland, um, just off the Great Western Road. There was a a great big uh, sandstone house and uh, everyone was in there. And maybe I met you there. I thought thought maybe you were playing guitar with, with these guys. Yeah, I
0: played guitar for Next, yeah.
1: Uh, mm. uh, so I think that's probably um, h- how we made it. yeah If 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 you had a negative experience, I I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: think crazy. that's I don't think that's necessary at this point, Paul. You know? It's uh it's a hundred and fifty years since.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so, like, make it sound like you're a recovering alcoholic or something, <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: I apparently, I apparently have have, have a bit of a, a reputation around around that time for saying provocative things to people. And uh, I, I remember around that time, for instance, you know, I I would go to a party and be socializing, and uh, you know, I'd get get thumped. Uh, uh, you know, things like uh, things like that would happen. I would say provocative yeah. things. Uh, the reason I used to say provocative things, believe it or not, was probably low self-esteem, but then also uh, I was always psyching people out to see whether they they, they were going to yeah. uh, racially abuse me.
0: Yeah, but I mean that's that's the kind of that's the kind of defensive behaviour that that would that would be very consistent with what you described earlier as your experience.
1: And, and and it was always always the thing, you know, if you if you wanted to figure out who was going to bully you or be nasty to you, say something bizarre to them. Yeah. And if they indulge you in it, they're your friends. And if they yeah. think you're a complete mm. twat and a wanker uh, and and are rude to you, then you know you'll never you'll never have a pal yeah. there. You know? My uh,
0: my I think I remember you, but the, my problem is that I I have this difficulty with rem- with associating people with memories.
1: Oh, right. It's just yeah.
2: a, it's like,
0: was it that person or was it that somebody else that I remember in this particular s- episode in my memory? Uh-huh. You
2: know. Yeah, well, well uh, to, be, to be quite honest,
1: I really was, I don't think I was really involved with, with the next band. No,
0: not much. Uh, mm. and,
1: um,
2: if uh, you'd and, and like me to.
1: Hang her out and hang her on her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything.
2: Um, if you'd like me to clarify this, I can remember three occasions on which uh, you and Paul would have been in the same place connected yeah. with Next. Yes, please. Right. So the Mitchell Theatre was one. Yep. The recording of the demo. Yes. Was the other. Was,
0: I thought that was a likely case. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And there was one rehearsal in in the old upstairs in the old Glasgow Arts Centre. And it was that would have been your first appearance with the band. Okay, I probably don't remember any of that first one because I I have a tape of that somewhere. Shit! Wow. All right. Cool. All right. No, that's all I got. Okay. Well. I think we've uh, we've, like, we've talked for yeah. long enough. For goodness' sake, yeah, we've we've talked for long enough, but it's been extremely productive, and it's I think we've uh, yeah. we've we've given uh, we've given people very interesting insight into into Paul's uh, adventures, and uh, maybe opened the door to uh, to them going off and investigating. Delimitri's safe self-titled debut album.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a, yeah, I come back to this thing that I started off with this idea of a 15 yeah. to 24 year old. That's the age where you should have adventures, right? Yeah. If yeah. You, if yeah. that's <laughs> classically that's that's when Dick Whittington goes off to London or whatever, right? It's some yeah. somewhere in that period. And you did it. <laughs> whatever whatever you yeah. think of it these days, you did it. Yeah. 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 Really? Yeah, thank
1: you. The the more I look back on it, um, I, I, at the time I guess I thought this is complete misadventure, but uh, but actually the more I look back on it, and you know I'm a father, uh, oh. uh, you know, and and uh, you know my my daughter's going through the the mill of uh, various university courses, and uh, not only the mill of high school, uh, applying for college, then university, and then then further further university. I, I never had that. Uh, I just had this band from the age of, uh, you know, about fifteen, uh, and that's all all I was doing. And so you don't you don't really you don't really attribute any credit to it. Um, pals of mine were going to university. Pals of mine were getting jobs, um, and you couldn't really account for what you were doing or why you were doing I, it.
0: it I can like, I can remember I can remember, at a, Uh, While I was still a teenager and I had left school, but I had started uh, an an education, I I did a year of uh, in industry before going to university. But even at that point, I can very clearly remember talking to myself and other people about how I am scared of the idea of just following that path of least resistance that's going to end me up on a pay scale. Somebody else's pay scale. Uh, that uh, terrified me at the time. It is exactly what happened to me, of course. Mm, mm,
1: mm, I've escaped
0: from mm. it since, but that's exactly what happened to me. But I mm. was, whereas the I didn't know what else to do. You know, I <laughs> I didn't have a band to go off and be a. Uh, we we did our our musical stuff as a hobby, didn't we, Gabby? It wasn't it wasn't something that we tried to pursue quite like like Delamitri did once they got their uh, they got their response back from John Peel uh. but you know everybody had their careers to go off to everybody went off and did their thing but i do remember clearly being faced with this you know this this well what am i going to do you know i it's not it's not like a feeling as though you have choices it's just what's next and that's what yeah. that's what those years of life are I think really they that's what they do feel like is yeah you know you just take you take what's in front of you because that's that's what that period yeah. is like and choices are something that comes later once you've got responsibilities
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah that's an interesting thing here we all are though
0: yeah yeah still alive at least
1: <laughs> we all got we got we all oh, got houses there was there was one thing know.
0: i wanted to brag about was that uh when i got in, got to the us when i got to boston which is shortly after getting to the us oh there was a choice uh we mm-hmm. we arrived in connecticut that was a big mistake and then moved to boston as quickly as possible but shortly after arriving in boston i got uh, started in my own um career in college radio. So I spent about 10 well I first my first contact with college radio was as a as a musician because they provided uh, an opportunity for me to perform live and also getting to know the DJs. I got to be integrated with a, a musical underground. But then I got to be a DJ there and then I started the the software that today, that for the last well, for more than ten years, that uh, that Ava and I live off. of, Our business is based on documenting what music college radio DJs play on the radio. That's what we do.
1: And, and thank you very much um, for doing that, because let's go do a search. I, uh, I, I, I I'm I'm still receiving very accurate, very nice royalties. <laughs> <laughs> yes actually we are no we
0: we're, we're involved in that business because
1: Probably, we've got a we've got a proper database to your activities.
0: Yeah. Partly in in part yeah. I mean the big royalties don't really come from what we the the radio stations we're dealing with which are generally fairly small small audiences but yeah. Oh, I'm glad you're still getting royalties. That's nice to hear.
1: All, all, the, all the 13 pences and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all adds up, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It all adds Absolutely. up to me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, college radio is a cool scene. Or, uh, it, certainly it used to be back then a really, not just cool, but also a, a very fecund. Uh, area, you know, because there was, there, was, there was a lot of diversity that was encouraged and it was a very welcoming place on a lot of campuses. It was one of those places where somebody who wasn't fashionable or athletic or nerdy could go and hang out was at the radio station. Um, that's actually still true. Uh, it's just that there's, there's, the you know, music moved on and, and you know, college rock as a thing no longer really exists, but no. time change. oh god did, okay, I, did i end us on a depressing note
1: so so is it is it uh, is it good night from him <laughs> if you want <laughs>
0: yes and it's good night from him <laughs> good night from me and it's good night from him there okay. you go yes that's tom, the two ronnie's say, right
1: tom can i just say uh, uh, it's just really fantastic seeing you again uh and um i've i've really really been enjoying the work that you and gavin have been doing
0: really you've listened to our podcast
1: yeah, yeah, have oh, yeah, been. Cool. Yeah, really, yeah. it's been really, really great. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I know no one's going to listen to this, but just, just a real big up to you both.
0: No, thanks. No, it, it's, it's actually, I think it's a really precious thing to be to have an audience of ten. You know, mm. it's like that yeah. thing you were saying earlier about having a having a having a gig at a local. You know, where some people show up, but they're the right people. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't yeah. You
0: just... yeah thanks for saying so. Yeah, no. Yeah. And thanks Thank for coming really on much. and talking yes, to us absolutely. for so long. And thanks for talking to our audience. Yes, you can wish them love as well, if you like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, a, a, a very good night to you. Both sleep well. Okay, yeah. Doing.
2: All right, thanks again. Okay, all the best, mate. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye. ciao.